Amen. Well, we turn now uh, to consider God's word. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans 8. So if you would, I'd invite you to turn there with me to Romans chapter 8. And it's a short passage this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 26 and 27. So hear now the word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, this morning, God's word sets before us what is, in my estimation, uh, one of the most peculiar and mysterious, and therefore, I think, one of the most underappreciated realities of our new life in Christ. And that is here, we learn about the Holy Spirit's ministry of interceding for the people of God. And though it's only two verses, there's plenty uh, for us to look at, and so I want to jump right in. And for the next few minutes, we're going to proceed by asking a few questions uh, about this ministry of the Spirit. We're going to ask why, we're going to ask what, and then we'll ask how. Why does the Spirit intercede for us? What need is there for this ministry? What precisely is the Spirit seeking to acquire for us in this intercession? And then how does it happen? In what manner does the Spirit Intercede. What exactly does this intercession look like? So firstly, then, the why. Why the Spirit's help? And the most basic answer to that question is that this life is full of suffering. In this present season, of course, we see suffering on every side. And unfortunately, being a Christian does not exempt us from this suffering. And to get a little context, starting back in verse 17, Paul begins to consider the great promise of the gospel, that all those who trust in Christ and in his atoning death on their behalf, all these become sons and daughters alongside him. And what that means is that we become heirs, as Paul writes, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But then he adds this massive condition, this huge caveat. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And the glory that's in view is nothing less than the glory of new and eternal resurrection life. Sharing the same resurrection life that Christ himself now knows. Yet that day of glory, Paul makes clear, is future. Just as it was with Christ, so it is with us. The cross precedes the crown. And in this age before Christ returns and makes all things new, suffering is in fact the norm. And it's important for us to get this because it helps us to see right out of the gate that the Spirit's intercession is not about eliminating all suffering. And we'll come back to that in a moment, but I think we often need to be reminded that our suffering is not a sign that God doesn't love us. It's all too easy in times of hardship and sorrow 
to doubt God's fatherly love and care. And here we're reminded that suffering is to be expected in this life. In verse 18, Paul simply refers to the sufferings of this present time. Of course, there's suffering that comes as a result of our own foolish choices and as a result of our sin, no doubt, but there's a whole lot of suffering that we undergo simply by virtue of living in a fallen world. And so from verse 18 onwards, Paul is on a mission to encourage us. And the likewise, the likewise that begins our text in verse 26, it comes immediately on the heels of Paul considering the future hope of the gospel, the hope of a renewed creation, and the hope of redeemed bodies, that is, new resurrection bodies, a new life with Christ. And he says that that hope has a strengthening effect on our lives. When we look forward to that day, we are strengthened. Paul writes in verse 25, to wait with patience. And then we get to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So besides looking to this glorious future, believers have another certain aid in this life, and that is the help of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that the Spirit helps us in a very particular area of weakness, and that is we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, of course, we have the Lord's Prayer, and we have the Psalm. Scripture tells us to pray for uh many things. And so we have instructions, at least in broad brush strokes. Uh, And so here it seems that Paul has the particulars of our lives in mind. For instance, when we face a particular hardship in life, how exactly are we to pray? Should we understand that God is disciplining us for our sin and we need to confess that sin and repent? Or is sin not the issue, and perhaps God is just testing us, and we need to call on him for strength and rely on his spirit? Or is the enemy involved? Do we need to pray that God would remove the demonic oppression? Or how about when we pray for others? Does your hard-hearted neighbor or family member or friend, do they need to experience God's blessing so that they might recognize his abundant kindness and give him praise and turn to him in gratitude? Or is it better that they fall flat on their face so that they call out to him in need? Right, and the list goes on where to put our time and resources, how to pray for our children, what school to go to, what job to take next. Very often in our lives, it's most often the case that we do not know precisely what we ought to be praying for. And here's where we need to see that in the text, the Spirit is said to do something that we can't. In verse 26, Paul writes, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't have that crystal ball. But, he continues, there's this great word of contrast, but... The Spirit himself intercedes for us, and he does so with groanings. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then moving on to verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in our weakness, we do not know what to pray for, but 
the spirit prays and intercedes according to God's perfect will. The spirit prays according to the will of God. And here we're starting to answer the what question. What precisely is the spirit interceding for? What is the spirit looking to obtain for us? And the answer is simply this, that God's good will be accomplished in our lives. And I say good, uh, not just for some of us, but for each and every one of us, because of where Paul goes next. He writes, the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then this isn't part of our passage, but continuing into verse 28. And we know, and Paul is now unfolding what the will of God is. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The spirit is interceding according to God's will, which isn't arbitrary. It isn't random. But the will of God is through and through our good, the good of you and the good of I. And of course, our spiritual well-being, we know, is not always about comfort and pleasure. In fact, if we follow Paul one step further, we'll see that in verse 29, good is not simply whatever comes to mind when we think of the good life. Rather, Paul defines good in terms of conformity to Christ. And isn't that what we see throughout Scripture, that we can, as Paul writes in Romans 5, rejoice in our sufferings? Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. So God has taught us and shown us that good is really ultimately measured in terms of us reaching that day of conformity to Christ. So putting it all together, then we see that the spirit intercedes according to the will of God, which is always our good, understood ultimately in terms of that final goal of conformity to his son. Now, to clarify what I don't think this means, uh, I don't think this means is that because of the spirit's intercession, we will always be trending upwards in our spiritual journeys. Right? We all know that's not the case. We all have gone through seasons of backsliding, seasons of falling into a particular sin or discouragement or wandering. Rather, I think that in our lives, the Spirit is continually petitioning God ultimately to sustain our faith and to give us whatever it is that we need to remain connected to his Son, to remain spiritually alive and to not fall away so that we might be brought to completion on that last day. And I think that the Spirit uh, is petitioning God on our behalf in countless ways. And now we wade into mysterious waters here, and so I don't want to make non-mysterious what I think uh, will remain mysterious, even uh, no, no matter how long we spend in this text. The Spirit is interceding for us, and and. We don't know all the ins and outs of that. But I do think we receive an example of, of what this could look like. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says that he prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. And we don't know exactly what he's referring to there. Maybe some sort of 
physical ailments like his bad eyesight, uh, could have been demonic harassment. But in any case, what was God's answer to him? He writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I think this is an example of not knowing what to pray for as we ought. But surely the Spirit was interceding for Paul, for his spiritual well-being. And Paul even came to recognize this. He says that the purpose of this thorn, he writes, was to keep me from being conceited. A thorn was given me in the flesh. See, Paul prayed, but the Spirit interceded for Paul according to God's will. And God's will was better for Paul than Paul's will was for Paul. And so one commentator to, to try and uh, reiterate or sum up something of this, this uh, enigmatic idea, uh, Douglas Moo, he writes this of the Spirit's intercession. He says, Paul is saying then that our failure to know God's will and consequent inability to petition God specifically and assuredly is met by God's spirit who himself expresses to God those intercessory petitions that perfectly match the will of God. When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, we need not despair for we can depend on the spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. I think uh, for many things in the Christian life, uh, it helps to think in wartime analogies. We can think of our, our lives as one great mission. We'll call it mission glory. And of course, uh, war is treacherous. And on this mission, we are continually behind enemy lines. We are not at home at the base. And the trouble is when you're on the ground in enemy territory, there's often uh, no knowing for certain What's the next best move, right? In war, there's so many questions unanswered. You don't know the enemy's next step. You don't know what your next need is going to be. But I think it, it might help to think of the spirit as our satellite comms guy, right? The guy who's there constantly with us, with his radio, back to the Pentagon. And not only does the spirit have direct access to the Pentagon, to call in whatever it is that we need. But the spirit actually is a wartime expert. He knows what's coming. He knows what's next in our lives. He knows the landmines that lie ahead, the temptations that we'll face, the decisions that we'll have to make. And he is able to call in whatever reinforcement from the Father uh, that we need. He is able to petition the Father according to God's good will to get us to that day of final glory. And that's what I think is ultimately what the Spirit is petitioning God for. We don't know for certain, but the Spirit knows what is best. And so we can rest confidently that, that we have this great aid of the Spirit. So we've looked at the why. Why does the Spirit help us? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. We've considered the what, that the Spirit is 
interceding for God's ultimate purpose of making us like his son. And lastly, now we consider the how. How exactly does the spirit intercede? In verse 26, we read that the spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And the big question here is, are these groanings our groanings? Or the Spirit's groanings? That is, is the Spirit's intercession something which happens as we pray, somehow in and through our own groanings, in times when we can't quite find the words to express our prayers? Or is the Spirit's intercession a unique and distinct intercession, which the Spirit offers independent of our own prayer? And I think that it's actually this latter option for a handful of reasons, and I'm just going to note a couple. Firstly, Paul says the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's this unnecessary pronoun here. Uh, We see it in the English because it's there in the Greek, and it's there for emphasis that this is the Spirit's activity, the Spirit himself. He is the active agent in this passage. Secondly, the the Greek word, uh, alaletois, translated here as too deep for words in the ESV, uh, it comes from the word laleo, and we get the word glossolalia, tongues, uh, from that root verb, Um, but it's Alaleo, and that means, um, laleo means to make sound or to utter words. And then it has this ah prefix in front of it. In other words, this is without sound. This groaning is without words. Um, And so most likely, uh, most commentators think that these groans are unspoken. They're not even audible. We can't hear them. Thirdly, Um, Only a few verses later in this chapter, in verse 34, Paul will say that Christ is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. And there it's the exact same Greek construction that we have in our text. Entu kane kuper, right? That's the intercession of Christ. He is interceding for, and so is the Spirit. He's interceding for us. And just as Christ's ministry of intercession, just as that is continual and doesn't depend on us, so too with this intercession of the Spirit. Now, the reason I want to make this particular point so clear is that because um, is because I think it's so wonderfully encouraging. The Spirit's intercession, thank God, does not depend on our own prayer lives and the fervency and intensity of our prayers. Of course, when it comes to prayer, uh, all prayer that is acceptable to God is only acceptable to God by virtue of his spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. We are to walk by the spirit. Every gift of grace that we receive and whenever we walk in obedience to God, whenever we offer prayers that are acceptable to God, It is because the Spirit is there helping us to do so and sanctifying our imperfections and bringing to God 
something that God will receive. And so the Spirit does help us in our own individual prayers, and God delights to hear our prayers. The Spirit beckons us to call on God. It's the Spirit who prompts us to use our own voices to cry out to him moment by moment. But this special ministry of the Spirit's intercession, I think, is truly something distinct from our prayers. See, it's not like the Spirit is our sidekick in prayer who sits back and he watches and then only steps in to intercede in this special way once we've reached the limit, once we've come to that place in which the the groan meter is high enough and we're at a loss for words. No, God's will and the, the Spirit's ministry of intercession, it's not like this happens only 20% of the time or only for those of us who are spiritual enough to really groan in prayer. Rather, the Spirit intercedes for all of us regularly and continually, just as the Lord Jesus does. So if you've come across this passage and you've ever wondered whether this intercession of the Spirit has been uh, true in your own life, please wonder no longer. This intercession is true for all of us, and it's happening even now in this hour. And it's worth noting as well that the scriptures, the scriptures are not afraid to apply this kind of emotive language to God. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's this emotive language that I think is actually necessary for us to understand the kind of love that God has for us. Imagine now that you got to be a fly on the wall while Pastor Dave was praying for you in his office. And you saw that he was on his knees, fervently crying out to God on your behalf, with tears even, right? You would sense something of the genuineness and the depth of his love. You would be taken aback by that. And I think that's exactly the point here. There's no better way to express the Spirit's love and yearning for us than to say that the Spirit intercedes with groanings. That's how much the Spirit of Christ who indwells us, that's how much the Spirit cares for us and desires our well-being. He intercedes continually, and he does so with groanings within the depths of his being. So breadwinners, when you're going to work, parents, when you're taking uh, care of your kids, children, when you're at school, And when you're busy at your favorite hobby, in all those times, the Spirit is interceding for you. And when you're plagued with fear and anxiety, when you feel all alone, when you're tired and don't know if you can keep going, when you're walking in God's strength and hopeful that you'll uh, remain faithful, or when you're ministering to your neighbor, or when you have uh, been wronged or have wronged someone. In all these instances, in all these times, the Spirit is interceding for us according to our need and according to God's will. So we may not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with a deep love 
and in accordance with the Father's goodwill. In closing, uh, I want to draw our attention to the beginning of verse 27, where we read this. Paul writes, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. See, one of the wonders we see in Scripture is that though our God is infinitely greater than us, filling all space and time and being active everywhere in every moment, always upholding the universe by the word of his power, that God, as great as he is, still he comes to dwell inside each and every one of us through his spirit. Of course, just recently during this Advent season, we uh, celebrated many churches anyways around the globe. We celebrated the incarnation that the Son of God took on human flesh, that God came to be in our very midst, right? But then Christ, after suffering for our sins and rising again to new life, what does he do? He ascended into heaven, and now he sits on the right hand of God the Father. And so it would seem perhaps like we're alone that God has left us. But in truth, that is absolutely not the case. Jesus told his disciples in John's gospel, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And of course, here, Jesus is speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, who dwells in our very hearts somehow, mysteriously, living within us and uniting us to the Father and the Son by faith. And so in this life, we are never alone. We have Christ's Spirit as our companion, as our helper, as our teacher, as our source of life, and as our unfailing intercessor. And so when God searches our hearts, which he does continually, there he finds his very own spirit, calling on him to work all things that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That is Paul's encouragement to us this morning. That is God's encouragement to us this morning. The spirit himself intercedes for us according to the will of God. Let's pray together.